1: Hello and welcome to the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. And today we have the author of Mainstreaming Black Power, Tom Adam Davies. Um, Coming from across the pond in the UK, he is a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. And he talks about the uh, black power movement and... hello and welcome to the african-american studies channel of the new books network i'm your host james Stansel, and today we have the author of mainstreaming black power tom adam davies Um, coming from across the pond in the uk he is a lecturer in american history at the university of sussex and he talks about the uh, black power movement and how you know the movement itself may be viewed a bit differently Um, If you uh, read his work there, that is, you know, more mainstream and the ideals of economic empowerment and such may be more associated with conservatism than with uh, uh, liberalism and radicalism. Uh, So check out this interview and see what you think there. And um, I think you'll enjoy this talk I have with Tom Adam Davies. So listen in. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. My name is James Stansel and I'm your host on the African-American Studies channel. I have the pleasure of being here today with the author of Mainstreaming Black Power, Tom Adam Davies. He is a professor, excuse me, he's a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex and his book is published by the University of California Press. And some of you may be saying, Sussex, which state is that in? Well, he's coming from across the pond, as we say today. I've got a string of UK uh Writers, scholars, and researchers, and Dr. Davies is yet another. So, hello, Dr. Davies. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good, thank you, James. Yeah, thanks uh, for inviting me. Yeah,
1: it is my pleasure. And again, his book is Mainstreaming Black Power. And um... if you don't mind, Tom, maybe can, can you tell us a little bit about your background, personal, or professional, whatever you'd like to share, and and what led you to your interest in this topic in your book?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I suppose. Uh, I think about how I ended up studying what I study. Mm-hmm. It's probably from when I was at university, University of Leeds, okay. um, which is a city in the north of England. Right. Um, and I in, actually hadn't really studied American history proper until uh, the second year. Okay. at school, uh, today school kids today in the UK they study civil rights history quite often okay. in school. But uh, back back then, not that not that long ago. No, no. Um, they, it was only something you'd ever study at university. But so in the second year, I did a 20th century U.S. history course and um, wrote an essay on Martin Luther King and nonviolence in the civil rights movement.
2: Okay.
0: And then from that, I then in my final year did a special subject all about um, the civil rights movement. And um, yeah, and then I kind of fell into it from there, <laughs> uh, specialized in in the African American freedom struggle um, and kind of U.S. politics more broadly from there. So. Okay.
1: So, yeah. So you found some interest there, and the, and the rest is, is history, as they say. Yeah,
0: I was a very lucky, very lucky man. Good. I wrote my dissertation on, um, on SNCC,
1: okay. the Student
0: on Violent Coordinating Committee, right, and right. Um, I interviewed some former activists and just, yeah, became so engrossed with, uh, with this organization, and so uh, kind of awestruck with what they did, um, But yeah, it just kind of sucked me into uh, American history. And luckily, I'm, I'm here. Today, doing it for jobs,
1: though. Yes, so Suck you in. Yes, American history has a way of doing that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it does.
1: We've had some uh, some interesting times, and for the, for the record, don't let Tom fool you. He's a very very young man, very very <laughs> very, very spry and, and, and active, with a nice cool beard, much cooler than mine. So we're gonna have to talk about that offline, Tom, and maybe you can give me some tips on how to grow my beard out a little bit like that. I would
2: like be happy that. to.
1: <laughs> And so, um, yes, yeah, so of course, uh, for regular listeners, uh, obviously, you know, this is a podcast, but you can go to our uh, blog page uh, New Books Network, the African American Studies channel, and you can see some information there about Tom Adam Davies. You can you'll be able to see his lovely picture there, and you can click right through from that blog page, and you can purchase his book, Mainstreaming Black Power, um, on uh, Amazon, our partners at Amazon. So... In, in addition to listening to uh, our outstanding conversation here in this podcast, you can go through and, and purchase his book as well, I'm sure. Dr. David, you'd be okay with that, right?
0: Uh, that would be very much okay with me. I'm okay. Sure.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, Tom, thank you for sharing uh, some about your background and how you got interested in you know, American history. And you know, maybe you know, we can talk a little bit more here about what your book is all about, Mainstreaming Black Power. Now, a lot of us know about black power and the term black power and the, and the raised fist, and people think about the uh, sure. Black Panther Party and some of those kinds of things. But what specifically are you writing about here? Because we're talking about mainstreaming black power, which is when people think about that black power movement, don't necessarily think about it in a mainstream way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's and that's really the entire point, right? So you talked about the, the Black Panther Party, and I sure. think if you ask the, the average person to... Think of something related to black power, they probably would think of the Black Panthers first, mm-hmm. right? Because there's such a, a strong uh, identification association with them, and with that part of that is the assumption. I think the Black Power was something that was always radical, mm-hmm. that was by definition radical, and of course, you know, much of the Black Power movement was very radical. But this book is um, it's trying to challenge the idea that, that it was innately radical, and to say, okay. well, actually. Plenty of African-Americans understood black power very differently. Okay. And not just African-Americans, but plenty of white politicians uh, tried to um, foreground an understanding, a vision of black power that was all about um, reinforcing mainstream, middle-class values. Mm-hmm. So it's not about revolution or redistributing wealth uh, or power to uh, oppressed masses, okay. you know, as, as the Black Panthers would um, kind of envisage black power, but rather it was about black being able to own their own homes and own their own businesses mm. and um, the ability of individual African Americans to achieve rather than African Americans as, as a group. Um, so a more kind of socially and economically conservative vision of black progress mm-hmm. that was all about middle-class values of ownership, uh, and private property, small government as well. Um, so, yeah, the, the book is essentially about how mainstream white politicians and institutions reacted to the emergence of black power, Mm -hmm. when this this, this slogan emerges in mid-'66, and their efforts to try and use it as a way to reinforce um, the existing status quo, and -hmm. and really to to offer the opportunity for some African-Americans to become part of that um, American political and economic mainstream, um, but in a way that really ultimately uh, only deepened inequality. At least this is one of the things I argue.
1: Yeah, that you that you found in your research. Sure, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, and you know, often when people think about Black Power, and you know, and you know, and I guess one of the uh, descendants, like the Black Lives Matter, and some of those kind of things, they instantly think of like raving liberalism and progressive views and ideals. But you know, just like, the, like you just discuss here, Tom, if they research it, you know, uh, you know, African Americans, Black people are not monolithic. And, you know absolutely you have very- many different you know perspectives and they're all over uh the political spectrum and particularly right. yeah in in what in what you found in your research and what you know what knowledgeable people know you know even like in the in you know, a religious setting in the, the what we you call the black church is generally mm. considered to be more more conservative um you know in a lot of their their ideals or viewpoints um sure you know than, i think that's think.
0: That, well i think that's that's so important that the, and that's that hits now on the head because mm-hmm. that I think there still is a tendency to to view and to treat the African American community as if it is one kind of undifferentiated monolithic group, mm-hmm. as if just because African Americans share a racial identity that they must all share the same values. Right, it's just, just simply not the case. Right. Um, and, and Black Power is, I think, offers a great uh, example of that. Mm-hmm. That some some African Americans understood it completely differently to others. But if you look at the history and the historiography of Black Power it really is defined by ideas of radicalism. Um, but I think there's more to that power than, than just the Bat-Panthers, as important as they were.
2: Sure. And
0: that's, that's kind of what the book is trying to say. This is this is, what else, this is what else we can incorporate into the history of Black power or Maybe we need to look at black middle-class success during mm-hmm. the, the late 60s and 70s and say, well, this is part of Black power for different reasons mm-hmm. and in different ways.
1: All right, because it's literally... You're gaining black power, <laughs> literally. Well, that is,
0: yeah, absolutely. That's, for some people, black power was purely that. It was just more economic power, um, more cultural empowerment. But it didn't mean um, that you had to be interested in revolution. Uh, you, you hated the, the government or the state or the police. Quite the contrary. You could uh, be deeply invested in all those things and want to be, uh, have more of a share of American capitalism rather than want to blow American capitalism up
1: absolutely, and so Tom, can you maybe uh take a few minutes because we have a lot of young scholars and you know maybe maybe uh community people who listen and you know and i I like to take some time and, and you know and let the uh the researcher scholars and and authors and academics maybe talk about what your uh, research methods were how did you go about uh, you know collecting your data and you know the things that you that you analyze in in your work here
0: sure sure well um so I was very fortunate to be able obviously to come over to the US mm-hmm. and to uh, to conduct uh, a lot of my primary research. I think I was there for about six months in total okay. um, and obviously the book looks at well three kind of cities in particular, mm-hmm. New York, Los Angeles and Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of brings them together within a story of, of national politics as well. So mm-hmm. um, I was very fortunate to spend a lot of time in New York and LA and, and Atlanta and there um, I was in archives, various different archives at, at universities and public libraries mm-hmm. um, a lot of the stuff I was looking at were um, community group records okay so well, kind of individual activists, also um, african american politicians papers mm-hmm. um, so the fir- i mean the first chapter of the book looks at the war on poverty, which is a kind of really important starting point okay, right and the war on poverty um, has some pretty good records, and so it's through yes. that you can get to uh, these kind of amazing community level formations that were created all over uh, the US. Um, and that was a way into the history of groups who otherwise really you just don't read about them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they kind of it's only recently that they've actually kind of become represented in, in the historiography of the period. But so there's a lot of a lot of oral histories as well, um, a lot of um, Media, so not just but you know, kind of white mainstream media, but also um, African American and other minority press uh, mm. organizations as right. well. Right,
1: newspapers and such.
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean there's some amazing places, uh, as uh, I'm sure you'll know. Like the Schomburg uh, Center in New York, right, right, uh, was remarkable, incredible collections there. Um, I had the pleasure of going down to the um, um, Robert Woodruff Library, at the Atlanta University Center, oh, okay. right, which yeah. was, A-U-C. was great. Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic, and. Um, in Los Angeles, there's, a, well, lots of different places, but there's a, this, a Southern Californian Library for Social Research, okay. which is um, down in the uh, kind of, um, well, South Central area. Okay, uh, has an amazing library with incredible collections of uh, local organizations, and it's got um, black newspapers going back to the early uh, 20th century, late 19th century. Wow. So, yeah. It was, I tried to get a quite broad range of sources, Um and but it really is, I guess trying to give a voice to community level activism and top level politics as well, and right. to bringing those two things together all so right.
1: cool, yeah, thank you for sharing, and you know these resources that you just heard Tom mention are readily available for anyone you know he was Absolutely. On, yeah, he's in the east coast, he's in the south, he was on on the west coast these are These are all facilities and you know museums and libraries that you know any of us could walk in. And you know, access some of these things. So you don't, you know, you don't have to be writing a book like like Tom, or you know, being an academic. If you want to know about more about your history and your past, and you know, uh, the newspapers and the black media, like Tom mentioned in your area, definitely go in and take a look at those things. You may find some of your relatives are mentioned in some of these articles, or some of your your, yeah. your neighborhoods. And you also heard Tom mention that he did oral histories. You know, we can all take the time to interview some of our older relatives, and you've heard me mention on on the podcast before that, you know, people from some of these important time periods are, are passing away. They're disappearing before our eyes. So we definitely need to um, listen to their stories and to, you know, document and acknowledge their, their past contributions to history. It could be an important person, you know, to the community, or it could be your own relative, your uncle or your aunt or something. You may be surprised when you talk to them what they what, what they were involved in and what they found out. Every cell phone, you know, pretty much smartphone has a microphone on it. So maybe at a family gathering or something, record one of your older relatives and ask them about what they were involved with. And they may have been involved with the Black Panther Party or one of these other organizations that Tom mentions in, in his text, um, you know, through he that he found through his research. So definitely do that. You know, you don't have to be a scholar from the U.K. like uh, Dr. Davies. You can be a, a local community researcher or scholar or anyone, or you can become the next Tom um, Adam Davies if you're a young person. Uh, make your contribution make make your mark on society and and history don't just leave it to someone else right we're the person that we're waiting for i'm sure you would agree tom
0: <laughs> Oh, I, I, it's it's so important you know that's yeah. exactly if you don't preserve um the voices of ordinary people that's what gets lost further down the line right. um so yeah i couldn't agree more
1: right and just like your interest was piqued in american history someone else's can be as well right absolutely yeah 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 so so, so, talk about how long, you know, if you could just estimate, you know, uh, to com- to complete this work, you know, how long do you think it, you know, it took you from beginning sure. to end?
0: So it was, so this is what I did. This is why I got a PhD, doctoral mm-hmm. research project, um, right. which I, I think I um, arrived in the U.S. first time, August
2: 2010,
0: mm-hmm. uh, and then... I think I basically finished the project as a PhD just before about late 2013. Okay. And then I, I started a job here at the University of Sussex.
2: Yeah. And
0: then since then um it's been the case of trying to improve the manuscript and then obviously get get it in with the press right. uh, which I was very fortunate to be with uh, with University of California Press. Mm-hmm. And things always move slowly in academic publishing so <laughs> Yes, they do. Yes. <laughs> nothing do. nothing goes at, uh, at a good speed. But um yeah, then I, I've added an epilogue to the book as well to try and reflect on some of the um, right, you know, the Obama administration and some of the things that have happened in the last um, well since the '80s really because mm-hmm. the book kind of drops stops off in in the late '70s early '80s. Um us try and think about how black political power has changed since then and or, or not, case may be. But sure, um, sure. yeah, so I guess now it's out it's published. Um, well, in the last couple of months in the U.S., so mm-hmm. just under seven years was wow, uh, right. the journey. So yeah. it's uh, yes, it's very pleasing to see it finally.
1: Yes, uh, in print. <laughs> your baby has been born, Tom. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> right, and you know we and we often you know I ask this question of the scholars on on, on, the, on the show, and yes, very often the, uh, the the average answer I would say is between right seven to ten years you know be be it dissertation work like yours or you know just uh, you know maybe a later research project in, in an academic's career so this is not something that you can just start and, and and end there's you know in six months there's lots of if you heard tom mention starts and stops lots of hurry ups and lots of waiting That's um, it,
0: yeah. <laughs> but, it's, um, it's a, yeah it's a bit, you're right it's uh you do have peaks and drops and you know, it's uh it's amazing though to uh as a sense of a project will take that long to right. say, you know, to do the research, to then write it up. Writing is a hard thing to do, and it takes practice and time. So, right. but a very rewarding thing. So, yeah, Absolutely, rewarding thing.
1: and to be doing something good that, uh, you know, like you did here in mainstreaming Black Power, and you know, you're kind of giving something to the to the community and enlightening people on maybe some aspects of of history that they may not be as familiar with. And so. Um, I hope so. How <laughs> you you did. You did, Tom. So congratulations to you for this for this great work. And it's, it's mainstreaming black power. And it's published by University of California Press. And of course, we're here with the author, Tom Adam Davies. He's a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. And of course, I'm your host, James Stansel. We're on the African-American studies channel of the New Books Network. And Tom, let's talk a little bit about um, a minute about the title itself. Um is, sure. this a, is this a title that that you that you chose, or was it something that you negotiated with the <laughs> with the publishers? No,
0: it and is. What, that's the one that I chose. Um, good. Good. And yeah, I think it's it, it kind of does what it needs to do because yes. it, it is a sense of the book is really about how uh, Black power became incorporated into uh, the American political economic mainstream, or at least mm-hmm. how an idea of it um, became incorporated, and ultimately you know, it finishes with black politicians um, in the 70s and 80s, Tom Bradley in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and, and Maynard Jackson in Atlanta in particular, uh, who's, you know, become part of a political establishment and ultimately pursue policies that have only widened inequality mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in those communities mm-hmm. in, the, in the decades since. So uh, I, I guess it's not, um, it, the overall learning message isn't a particularly positive one. You know, not I'm not sure offering a lot. Like, of hope for the future, but um, it is to try and suggest that there are also other ways. The the politicians today in the US need to move away from the kind of policies that have helped to deepen inequality. Um, But that's a process that began in the late 60s and 70s, a shift away from certain values to a new set of values, which Mm. um, have ultimately had pretty deleterious impact on um, American cities and, and the communities that live within them.
1: I mean, and this is an interesting, you know, perspective, and I hope a lot of people will, um, you know, uh, you know, read your book or become familiar with it because you know it's something seriously to think about. I mean, you've got the documentation there, and you've and you've done your research, and that uh, you know maybe there's a different way, um, you know, a different path to success. Um, than what you know, it, you know that has been followed or, or that, that we've been following, you know, in in, in the black community in terms of, of leadership. Um, so certainly there's a there's a space for your scholarship, Tom. Um, you know, and, and others as well. I mean, I think the complete picture. You're going to have to look at all these different kind of things, you know, if if you want to have more success in the 21st century. You know, absolutely. And, and what about your cover, Tom? I, I love the the, the cover. Can you tell us a little bit oh, about you. about about the design?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, I so I had an idea for um for what I wanted to look like, and so the idea is you, you've got the the kind of classic black power salute fist, right? The fist, um, right. But then the it's the arm is kind of as if they're wearing a um, a suit, which the American flag is uh, on the sleeve. So, right. Yeah, the idea that, that it's meant to look like a suit sleeve, so okay, an arm in a suit, gotcha. but the which then, of course, implies kind of business and uh, right, you know, mainstream American right. society. Mainstream. But yeah, luckily I have a friend who's a, a graphic design artist who was able to make it look much oh. much better than. Uh, and
2: <laughs> uh, you're <laughs> yeah. <vision. laughs>
0: yeah, I said I gave him a very crude uh, kind of picture that I draw and I said, "Can you make this look good?" <laughs> and uh, and yeah, he did his name Paul Haynesworth, and he did a great job. So right. shout
1: thank out to him. Paul.
0: Yes, indeed, shout uh, out to Paul. So. Yeah, he's done a great job, so yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it looks great, actually, and uh, if anyone you know is willing to judge a book by its cover, then this is the book judge by its cover.
1: So. <laughs> judge it by its cover, right. Well, yeah. you know, a lot of time for, you know, books that are read by popular audiences, as you, as you know, Tom, <laughs> they definitely judge it by the cover, um, <laughs> and so this is a good one. So it wasn't done in-house by anyone at the press, it was by uh, a person that you found. Wow, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, 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 right. it worked out really, really well, so uh, yeah, it's great Cause I know sometimes other people, but uh, you don't actually have control over what goes in this proper right. book. Technically, when you sign the book contract, it's right. kind of it then goes to the press as you say. They normally get to do what they want, but in this instance, I, I sent them the the image and they said, "Okay, it was good."
1: Right. That's wow. That yeah, yeah. Cause you know I've, I've talked to you know different writers on the show exactly what you just said, <laughs> Tom. Once you sign the contract, you have kind of signed over everything. You know, book mm. book, book title or. Creative control of the uh, cover, but oftentimes, you know, people who work in the publishing industry, they have a good idea. They are knowledgeable about those things. Oh, of course,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and UCP has been fantastic, so yeah. I've I've been very fortunate the whole way through. Yeah.
1: But you know, in this case, you know, you chose, you know, the, the title, and they they approved it, as well as you know, had, you had one of your, your your colleagues, one of your mates there that uh, did a great job with the cover. So that's that's mm. good. So, yeah, so it's diff- a different process with every book, you know. Um, and you know, for a long time, listening to the channel, you you you've heard uh, some of the writers talk about their struggles in that area, or or how you know they had great ideas that came from the press or the you know the graphic design of the in-house office. So it's always different. There's no one way that it's done, or one correct way. It just depends on each book and each each project, and it can be a little different each time. So that's great, Tom. You you got a lot of control in, in, in this one here. So that's that's
0: good. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it worked out really really well. So I'm. I couldn't be happier with the the final product if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so that's good. And so right, you know you you mentioned that you, you your book kind of drops off a little bit through the through the 80s there, which I think about that too, you know, just as a, myself a student of of studying American history, it seems like there was that big change there. So it's like things kind of slowed down or just kind of mm. kind of disappeared or, or 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 dissipated people kind of put down their uh their their uh their uh you know, protest hats and and you know and kind of went a different way. You know, do you think now that we're in the 21st century, you know, are, are things kind of returning to um, those past uh, methods and movements, or you know, you know, what do do you think in terms of where we are now in, in 2017 and you know what we'll see in the future?
0: Sure. Yeah. Look, that's uh, it's it's something that I think about quite a lot. You know, I think uh, <coughs> some of the a lot of the biggest books that were written about civil rights were mm-hmm. by people who lived during it.
2: Sure, sure. Uh,
0: and of course, it only becomes clear in retrospect just how seismic those events really are. Obviously, right. know, so at the time, it would seem very important, but uh, it's, you know, we are now living to an age where it feels like there's been a kind of rebirth uh, to uh, not just African American, but kind of broader social movements in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, is a real kind of step change um, mm-hmm. and. Who knows, you know, in 30, 40 years, you know, we might be looking back and and having documentaries and, uh, you know, lots of memoirs and people involved in Black Lives Matter movement now. And I think the remarkable thing is that um, the kind of things that they're talking about, you know, economic inequality, institutional racism, Mm -hmm. these kind of things, uh, were basically scrubbed from the agenda since the 1980s. They're very powerful, conservative-shaped media narratives about inequality and racism in the U.S. that... Reframed, um, you know, black poverty as a result of failings in the black community or you know, institutional racism couldn't exist anymore because mm-hmm. America had moved beyond race and right. uh, you know, post-racial like America. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, this has been uh, an ideology that's been funded by conservative think tanks and expounded in, you know, the Hoover Institute and the Manhattan Institute and, mm-hmm. and all these these um, kind of conservative strongholds, um, and they're being challenged now, and they've been challenged. Uh, explicitly and forcefully, and they've been completely debunked. Uh, well, at least in the minds of, of many people. Sure, sure. So sure. this this does feel like a a, a rebirth of um, activism in the US. It feels like a, a crucial time. Good um, question, and it's very encouraging to see the Black Lives Matter has gone from being you know, from the beginning, I guess, with a particularly strong focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Um, you know, racial disparities in the criminal justice system, which of course it still is focused on, but now they have a much broader Mm -hmm. political agenda. Um, It's going to be fascinating to see how they push that forward, this kind of anti-GOP, anti-Trump resistance agenda, which, I mean, America needs that, I think, because the GOP and Trump are trying to do some uh, fairly horrendous things, as far as I'm concerned. You know the kind of healthcare bill that's going through now, uh, which looks like it's going to get passed without anyone knowing anything about it, is uh, so anti-democratic and so uh, morally troubling that um, it's it's just a great thing that there are people like Black Lives Matter who are trying to fight this kind of politics, and hopefully they'll get more and more people um, supporting them in the future. We'll see, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, everything has to start somewhere, right? And they're working on being a movement as opposed to just a moment. And, yes, um, absolutely. And they often say, you know, one of my favorite expressions is, is that um history may not repeat, but it often rhymes. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and, let so me, true. and let me also say that the views expressed by Tom Adam Davies on the New Books Network are well, not necessarily the views. <laughs> <laughs> Of, of, of the channel, or Doctor Marshall Poe, or any of the, the hosts, though they very well may be, but uh, not necessarily. <laughs> but yeah, that's a that's a great point that you uh, you make there. Um, you know, uh, Tom, and you know, it very well may be you, Tom Adam Davies, writing about the Black Lives Matter movement in thirty or forty years.
0: You know, yeah, well, I it, I think it's a, it's an amazing movement now, and um, yeah. It's the future of black protest, isn't it? So, But the future of protest in general. Um,
1: right. In the Internet so, age, you
0: know? Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, that's uh, In many ways, it makes what uh, was done in the 60s and 70s even more impressive. Mm-hmm. When I think about you know, today, obviously, social media has really, as you've suggested, completely uh, transformed activism. Yeah. But imagine back in the <laughs> 60s you had to agree to do things and then meet in a certain place. You couldn't just text message someone or, you know, tweet them or you couldn't go up a whole load of um, activists and people online by sending a single tweet and a hashtag. You had to go and, you know, pound the pavement and knock on doors and, and, you know, get people to commit and, yeah, it's it's amazing in its own way but it makes me think about the... uh, the past and just how how different it must have been. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's some benefits to the technology, of course, but there is also um, some detriments a, a, as well. You know, because sure. there there is not the connectivity. You have more connectivity in a sense, but like you said, you don't have the connectivity where people are sitting there together and planning and and really, you know, kind of everyone's on the same page. You know, you, hmm. you you don't have it that way. You know, Black Lives Matter is pretty much anybody can go out there and say, "I'm Black Lives Matter." You know? Yeah. And, Which presents you know, his own problems, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, because people people who are opposed to maybe the you know the ideology and some of the things will label anyone who's doing anything that they don't like as a Black Lives Matter person. Yeah. And anyone can get out there and do that. When you know, when you know, as you mentioned, and you know, you talk to, you know you talk about in your book that you know you had people who you were organized back in the '60s and the '70s. You know, you got together and you had formal movements with formal leaders and. And such, even if it was, you know, in the local level. But now anybody can get out there and just, you know, throw it on a hashtag and, and say they're doing, you know, whatever. So we'll, it, it will be interesting, like you said, time to see kind of, you know, what falls out from this and where we are, if we're still around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is a bit in question as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in 20 or, or, or 30 years. So maybe we'll be getting mainstreaming black power. Three or four,
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> from
1: fourth edition from Tom Adam yeah, exactly. Davies. Uh, you know, at, at, at that point, we'll have to see. And I might, we might be talking to each other again. We may have a little more gray there, Tom, but we still may be on the uh <laughs> uh New Books Network talking, talking about some of these issues. Which I would love for you to, you know, come back anytime. You know, you have a work or anything that you that you, know, that you want to talk about. I think that yeah. would be, uh, you know, you always have an open invitation on, on my show and on my channel, Tom, so you don't have to worry about that.
2: That's great. Yeah, it'd be a pleasure.
1: Yeah. And on and on that note, I know that you have to catch a train to London here pretty soon. <laughs>
2: so Indeed, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I don't want to hold you, but, uh, but for, for so long. And again, we're here with the author of mainstreaming Black Power, Tom Adam Davies, and he is a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. And he's going to be catching a train to London shortly. So we're not going to hold them too much longer on the New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. But I did want to give you a chance, Tom, uh, if if you could just maybe share with the audience uh, some of your current work or your, your current research or things that you plan on doing in the future. Maybe can, for a few minutes, if you can share uh, those things for us.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, um so I guess the the thing I'm the, the things I'm doing now are finishing mm-hmm. two two articles that I have. Okay. I'm finishing the first is um, looking at the war on poverty in New York. Okay. Um. So this is when and really it's looking at John Lindsay who was the mayor in okay. New York yeah. from the 66 through the 73. Um. And how his approach to war on poverty kind of transformed city and state politics. Okay. So I, I had the real Privilege and honor of um, interviewing a politician called Major Owens, who was mm-hmm. a yes, congressman yes. and senator. He sadly passed away now, but um, he was. We spoke for several hours about the war poverty in New York, which you know, he um, got his break in politics. Right, he was
1: actively involved.
0: He was there. Yeah. Yeah, he ended up actually leading the New York um, kind of city department that, that headed up the war poverty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but talking to him, I realised that actually nearly every African-American representative in state uh, assembly in the, uh, the mid-1970s mm-hmm. had taken a similar route. They'd all gone through the war on poverty. Wow. Okay. So yeah, the article's kind of about the war on poverty and how it impacted on minority politics in New York and, and the role that Lindsay played in that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the nearest one uh, to be completed. <laughs> and then after that, um, the second article that I need to do more work on but is, uh, is, is kind of moving in the right direction which is it kind of it kind of builds on some of the themes I've talked about, and it's about the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. Okay. Yeah. So, I think, and, and so I'm sure you and all your listeners are all familiar, I'd be very familiar with um, Tommy right. Smith and John Carlos's, um Black Power salute in that, which obviously is a, such an iconic moment of, of 1960s history, sure. wow. and especially of kind of Black Power history. But uh, I think most people wouldn't know about the, the counter protest that. A young George Foreman, who was a 19 mm. year old amateur uh, heavyweight um, at the Olympics, who won the gold uh, against a Russian opponent in the final. Um, this is about three days after uh, Smith and Carl lost his protest. But after his victory, he gets a couple of uh, U- US flags from his uh, trainer and starts walking around the r- ring talking about United States power. Mm-hmm. Um, and So the article looks at these two kind of moments of protest and their aftermaths, because when they get back home, um, I think the assumption is that Smith and Carlos were seen as heroes for what they did. But actually, the more I looked into it, the less less that's true. And you read more interviews with Smith and Carlos, and you realise that they were kind of ostracised by many, many people, black and white. Um, Whereas Foreman was criticised by some kind of black power militants like Carmichael and a track round and people like that, but mm-hmm. actually was celebrated by by many um, African Americans and certainly by uh, by by white America. So, it, it, thinking about the two contrasting receptions that those uh, that these athletes were received, and what does that tell us about? I guess, black political culture that time
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and questions of radicalism and, and patriotism and, and things like that. And also about athletes as well, because I think about Colin Kaepernick today and the way that he's right. been treated by the NFL and, you know, what is the price of of, um, of protest? The
1: protest, right.
0: Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's a lot. I need to do more thinking on that, but uh, that's the next one. Mm.
1: That's, a, that's a nice book title right there, Tom. The Price of Protest.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to write that down.
1: <laughs> just just give, just give me a shout out somewhere in there for that you know oh but, of course yeah don't yeah, right the, the, yeah the the price approach yeah that's, that's, that, i like that that sounds pretty interesting and you and you're right you know and, and that kind of goes with what we've been talking about tom and that uh you know uh the african american community is not monolithic you know you have many different you know ideals mm-hmm. and, and perspectives and um, you know, I'm familiar with that George Foreman piece, and it's just interesting how he's evolved over time. You know, is you know being you know a big American guy man, and then he was yep. like this this mean evil, you know Texan, and then yeah. he's the lovable you know father, you know grandfather, hawking his uh, his uh, grills.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's yeah, he's the the American dream, right? That's uh, yeah. made himself this uh, multi-millionaire success story, and he loves being American. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. But you're right, it is absolutely, again, it's not, it's trying to understand the, the black community It's not being this monolithic uh, group. You have to be, you have to dig deeper to really understand what, what was happening.
1: And, you know, and we have a bit of revisionist history with Muhammad Ali and with uh, Carlos yeah. and Smith and those folk, you know, they were hated at the time and now oh, they were, great American heroes. But, uh, so, you know, yeah. as you mentioned, that was not, <laughs> that was not the universal view at the time. And, no. Oh from it, yeah. And I especially had especially
0: with all these
1: I had the pleasure of being at a conference with Tommy Smith. Um I mentioned to you offline I was at a conference in New Orleans and I had the pleasure of being with him and he was uh helping out wow. with the, the you know the the, the morning uh exercises <laughs> each day wow. on, during, during the conference. So that that was nice. You know, I didn't realize you were gonna mention him, you know, uh specifically yeah. with your, your future project. Yeah, but he was he was uh he was there and it you know it did, you know, remind me of uh um, his situation, and you hear a lot more about Carlos, um, you know, uh, than you do about about Smith and what they did in 1968. So yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, reading those, Tom, when you get those out. Yeah, maybe let, let me know, and you know, and I can uh, publicize it and let people oh, know about to. it. And uh, yeah, yeah. And if you find out where it's going to be, you know, where they're going to be published, and um, certainly let, let us know because we like to we like to support those who support us on the new books network and you know our authors and and, and scholars and um if people want to reach out to you Tom you know maybe if they were involved in some of these movements or you know sure. they, they they read your you know to read your book and they want to get in contact with you maybe share some things how can they do that
0: well yeah that'd be I'd love to hear from anyone who um would, would want to get in touch uh, about the book or, or anything so um you could email me on my work email which is uh t.a.davies, D. A. V. I. S. Mm-hmm. at sussex.ac.uk,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, or I'm on Twitter at Tom Adam Davies. Um, so yeah, either either would be good. So yeah, it'd be great to hear from people. All right,
1: absolutely. So if you're a person who was involved in some of these movements. Or, you know, you like some of the things, or you wanted to talk with Tom about some of the things in this book, because, uh, as Tom knows, you never know where that next book or research project is coming from.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah.
1: It could come from an email of someone that's listening right here today. Um, so don't, don't be shy if you have some things you want to share with, uh, the author Tom Adam Davies. And on that note, we're going to let Tom go, because he's got to get on his train and get back home to London after a day's work. Um, so, the, you know, the book is Mainstreaming Black Power. The author is Tom Adam Davies. He's a lecturer in American history at the University of Sussex. Tom, thank you so much for taking time with us on the African American Studies Channel on the New Book Network. And you know, this is an, an interesting work here that Tom um, has has put together. Uh, so definitely check it out. Thank you again, Tom. And if you could say goodbye to our audience and American around the world, we're gonna let you go.
0: Thank you very much, James. It was great to speak to you, and goodbye to everyone.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Tom. And we will see you next time. Again, the book is mainstreaming black power. Check it out. And I thank you for listening everyone. And we'll see you next time on the African-American studies channel of the new books network. I'm your host, James Stansel. Peace and love. Okay. We're back on the African-American studies channel, the new books network. I'm your host, James Stansel. Uh, just finished up the great interview with Tom Adam Davies of the University of Sussex. Uh, thank you so much, Tom, for spending some time with us. <laughs> we we called him right before he had to catch a train home uh, to London, and so I appreciate him taking a few minutes with us and telling us about his book, the book Mainstreaming Black Power, and it's published by the University of California Press. Very interesting perspectives, sir. So I think you're going to enjoy. And as he said. You know, uh, get in contact with him if you have any experiences or anything you want to share questions, you want to talk with him about his book. Definitely do that. So on that note, I'm going to end it for the day. Thank you so much for listening and check out this podcast and many of our others on the African-American Studies channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. Peace and love. And we'll see you next time.